I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Kirk Jowers, and I'm filling in for Live Mike today. We have a great show that will include President Trump's National Security Advisor, Robert O'Brien, Governor Gary Herbert, former NFL running back Tim Hightower, former Stanford defensive star Sean Barton, Republican first congressional district candidate Blake Moore, former Bush speechwriter Peter Watkins, and first up, Donald Dunn, to discuss the Democratic National Convention. So we have a lot going on uh, for these couple of hours, and we will cover the gamut from national security to U.S. politics to uh, our great pastime of football. And, of course, COVID-19 will be a part of all of it. Um, I am pleased to have Donald Dunn on the phone with me. In 2000, Donald was the Democratic nominee for the U.S. Congress in Utah's 3rd Congressional District. In 2002, Donald ran for Congress in Utah's 1st Congressional District. He has served in the Clinton administration as the state chair a couple of times of the Utah Democratic Party, and I could not think of a better person to talk about the Democratic National Convention. Donald, thanks for being with us. Bert, I'm happy to, uh, to join you. Thanks so much for asking me. Yeah, it's wonderful to hear your voice again. Uh, are you still back in uh, in the D.C. area at Georgetown? I am. My uh, my wife and kids and I are living uh, living here in Chevy Chase and uh, enjoying uh, enjoying what life has to offer in D.C. Although this uh, strange time of a, a, a world pandemic is you know, challenging and. Um, we're, we're working through it, but yes, we're here. But the, the one thing, Kirk, you forgot to mention of uh, all of my credentials was being a, a friend of Kirk Jowers. That you know, you and I have known each other for almost thirty years. It's crazy. It's true. I think we even did a you know a, a Democratic Republican debate back at our time at the U together, and um, and uh, luckily we've been been friends through our our sometimes political and policy differences. Uh, even better friends when we've agreed, which has been often. And and uh, and here we are. And uh, uh, the Democratic Party uh, is is throwing a party this week, a convention. And I I wanted to talk to you about it. There's a a lot going on. Some news every day. I assume you've been to a number of conventions and have a lot of great memories and stories. How many conventions have you attended? Can you even count them at this point? You know, so I have uh, I have attended three in person. Um, yeah. And one of those, uh, my my first convention, I worked at as a, a staff member in 1996. So yeah. I think when you work on the convention, those are like dog years. So that <laughs> convention felt like seven conventions. I can't imagine. Well, let let me start then with uh, the New York Times asks uh, a question that maybe many of us are thinking about, Republican or Democrat. Republicans will be going through this uh, in a little different way uh, soon. But do we really even need party conventions? What do you think about that question? Do we need parties? Well, you know, do we need do we need party conventions? Do we need parties is way too big of a question for this show. (laughs) What? What the pandemic has shown us 
is, you know, it's interesting. With this convention, uh, as my wife and kids and I uh, have been watching, I think that there will be a real question of do you bring people together to have these conventions in the future? I, I personally think that this particular convention for the Democrats has made it more accessible to a wider group of people. Um, and it really felt like it was a intimate conversation that you're hearing. At the, you, you know, you're not able to have the dialogue back and forth with somebody. But with the speakers yesterday, um, as Senator Harris was speaking and President Obama and Secretary Clinton, they all felt like living room conversations that, you know, they're not – they're not speaking at the top of their lungs to a hall full of, you know, 15 or 20,000 people. And I think that this is one of the benefits, the silver lining in, in the way the convention is is being done of, of really including more people. Um, you would have never seen a type of roll call that you you did earlier this week on Tuesday of little snippets from all of the states and the territories and somebody is there in their state or territory. And it just, you know, the roll call seemed to drone on and on before at convention. So I think that there's a good question that, you know, we may rethink, do you really need to pull people together for the conventions of what we know in the past? Now, of course, you're missing some of the fun festivities. And, and one of the things about a convention that's always fun, both Republican and Democrat, is all the horse trading that goes on of, you know, you've got credentials and you want a ticket to a party. And so you'll swap out credentials for the ticket to the party or whatever, you know, the, the event access and the activities and the swag. Those are all commodities that, that individuals trade in a convention. And you don't have that. You're missing that part. You do. And I, I uh, had the blessing and curse of being in charge of uh, the credentials when Mitt Romney was the presidential nominee for the state of Utah and some other things. And yeah, there was, there were a lot of shenanigans trying to get at those, but we, we had a, we had a, a very set way of doing it so that uh, <laughs> we didn't get into that, but I know what you're talking about. And of course the, uh, you know, there's, there's two questions to that. One is the conventions as we've had them. Uh, the other question, which one of the, the writers, the New York times talked about was, conventions whether it's in this new covid-19 stage or or just the ones that we've enjoyed in the past um uh you know before this modern primary system essentially an innovation of the 1970s real things actually happened at conventions they were necessary uh now of course they're essentially infomercials so so let me ask you the broad question, and um, if, uh, if, are you able to stay for the uh, a second one? Because I've got uh, some more specific yeah. questions. Yeah. Great. Okay, so I can I can go general first. Um, from an infomercial point of view for the Democratic Party, is this convention accomplished what the party needed it to do and what the Biden-Harris ticket needed it to do? Is there anything left to be done or or corrected? Yeah. You know, I think it actually has. I think – for you know, for somebody like myself who has been involved in politics and follows it closely, I learned a lot about Kamala Harris last night that I didn't know. And I think you've got different audiences that you're talking to, both those that are actively engaged in politics and those that, you know, this is sort of the season when people start to pay attention to a presidential race. 
So I think it does accomplish that. One of the things that is missing, which is probably a good thing, is you don't have all of the drama that goes on at a convention of, you know, some of the, as you said, some of the shenanigans that might happen of horse trading. All of those stories disappear in this in this new format because people aren't physically together. And it really allows the campaign to have a more focused message of what what they want to tell about the presidential nominee and the vice presidential nominee. Now, some may say that's bad because, you know, it, it seems like it's a infomercial. But but I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that, you know, as people most people don't think about politics as much as you and I do. And we're, what, 75, 76 days away from the election. That's still a long time for the average American. And if we can begin people to, to get people to start thinking about who's running for president, I think that's a positive thing. I think everybody needs right. to figure out who they want to vote for. And they may vote for somebody who I disagree with, but I think the importance is, is somebody to vote. And that is you know, I agree. It is, it is time for us to get focused. It's also time for us to uh, to take a quick break, but I will be back with Donald Dunn. When we get back, I'm going to ask if, uh, if this is reinforced for the moderates that Biden won't go hard left while not turning off the liberal base. If you have any thoughts on that, text us on the Utah Community Credit Union KSL text line at 575 575- Zero, zero. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Kirk Jowers. You are back uh, on Live Mike, and I have Donald Dunn with me talking about the Democratic National Convention. We left off with Donald saying that uh, this convention has accomplished a lot of what the, the Democratic Party and Biden-Harris ticket needed to do. Uh, let me get a little more specific, Donald. Uh, has it reinforced for the moderates that Biden won't go hard left? And I think back to Kasich's speech on the, the first night while not turning off the liberal base. And I know a lot of people think you can ignore the liberal base a little bit because Trump is so despised uh, among that group. But it's still a little bit of a balance that uh, every convention has to worry about. How how have they done? What have you seen? What are the, the highlights or lowlights on, on that front? You know, I think that, um, I think that uh, Vice President Biden and his team have done a, a great job of of really defining who Joe is as an individual. Um, the fact that we've seen so many high-profile Republicans come and speak at this convention, um, indicating that, no, they're not leaving the Republican Party. What they're doing is supporting somebody like Joe Biden, who they believe is the right person for the job at this time. And yet you also have uh, people who are part of the liberal wing of the party, with with Bernie Sanders, Senator Sanders, and others. Uh, I mean, he, he endorsed Joe Biden on the first night, and yet it was interesting on the second night they were still counting delegates for him. Um, but I think that that Joe Biden and his team have done an excellent job of really portraying who he is as an individual and why he's the best person for this job at this time. Um, so I think that, you know, the conventions, often the conventions, they will take on the theme of who the nominee is. I mean, I, I know that the convention, the Republican convention, last time I talked to one individual who has been involved in every Republican convention for the last, you know, 40 plus years, who just shuddered it, that became the Trump show. And, <laughs> you know, they, they didn't like that. And, 
But like you say, it, 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 it was consistent with the candidate, and it was certainly a precursor of, <laughs> of what the next four <laughs> years would would become, uh, for better or worse. Uh, and speaking of, of President Trump, obviously uh, at the moment uh, all the polls seem to show that uh, that, that Biden is – is in a very good position to win along, you know, seven, as you said, 75 or something days to go. So a lot can happen. And I thought you were the perfect person to ask this question. If it's not seen as mean spirit as you have a long history with the Clintons and with Hillary Clinton in particular, um, you, you saw similar polls showing that, uh, that Donald Trump would not become our president what kind of keeps you up at, at night thinking that uh, what happened to, to Senator Secretary Clinton will potentially happen to Vice President be- uh, Biden in this bid? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question, Kirk. I think that, um, you know, we need to remember polls are just a snapshot in time. And uh, most everybody did think, well, there wasn't a chance in hell that that she was going to lose. And the media believed that, and she believed that. I think Donald Trump even believed that. Uh, I suppose what's different now is that we've had three and a half years, almost three quarters, uh, three and three quarters of uh, years of of seeing who he is and, you know, the job that he's done. And in my opinion, you know, I think it's been disastrous. But I think what, what I'm optimistic about is what Joe Biden can do is he can talk to people who voted for Barack Obama and then voted for Donald Trump to win over their hearts and minds. And, you know, as, as you know, you follow politics closely. It doesn't really matter what the national polls say, and you can win the popular vote and still not win the presidency. What matters is this uh, election of electoral votes. And I think there are individuals who... Who, who want to change their mind of where they where they voted, or maybe they didn't vote in 2016, and they're ready for some change. And we need to give space to those individuals, and we need to say, you know, we welcome you to vote for Joe Biden. We're not going to beat you over the head with a uh, a club or, 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 or a, you know saying, look, you didn't vote, you didn't vote for Hillary. Now you know you're just crazy. You know, forget about it. No, we need to say to them. Look, you voted for Donald Trump. You see the how he how he has been as president, and and we got better. And that's a that's a, a good person. segue to to jump in. I think because you uh, you know I, it certainly has appeared to me um, that obviously they're making the case and and uh, introducing us uh, to the candidates. Uh, Biden, everyone, most everyone knows him and has at least some opinion. Of course, Senator Harris, it, she is quite new to to a lot of America. Um, but I have, but there also is definitely a, an element of this convention, which isn't surprising. Whenever you run against a, an incumbent, it, it's to paint a, a pretty dire picture of the United States under the current president, which is now President Trump, Obama. Uh, portrayed Trump as unfit, uncaring, and unserious. He said that Trump threatens not only the nation's welfare, but also its core democratic institutions. And I want to jump to a uh, a clip from Michelle Obama, because we should have, a lot of people have been debating whether 
President Obama should have come in that hard on his successor. But we got a pretty good uh, uh, assessment uh, from the Obamas, from Michelle Obama. Uh, Can we get that clip? Donald Trump is the wrong president for our country. He has had more than enough time to prove that he can do the job, but he is clearly in over his head. He cannot meet this moment. He simply cannot be who we need him to be for us. It is what it is. So the the optimism that Michelle Obama, uh, you know, they go low, we go high, all of that, a little out the window, it is what it is. Did did President Obama go too far with his with his criticism? Let me start there. There has been this kind of and, and Obama, I thought, has been pretty patient with President Trump uh, up until now. Uh, was this the right time for him to come out? Should he have come out earlier or did he go too far now? Where is he? You know, I thought it was a great speech. I think it was very uh, on point. And I would encourage the listeners of this program, if they didn't watch it in full, to go watch his speech. I'd encourage them to, to go listen to John Kasich's speech. You've got two people who probably don't vote for the same person in any election. And I think they both have a similar message. And, you know, at the end of the day, Kirk, people are going to have to make their own choices and their own decisions, and that's what's great about America. But the stakes are just too high. And did President Obama, you know, maybe some say he waited too long. But, again, for the majority, the vast majority of Americans, they don't think about the presidential election as much as someone who's involved in politics. And I think people need to watch it and and look for themselves and make their own decision. But I think President Obama's speech about President Trump last night was one of his best and point on. Well, that's a good a good place to close. Donald, I wish we had more time together. Thank you for, for coming on. Uh, today we'll we'll try to get back together again as this uh, campaign continues. When we come back, we'll be discussing President Trump and our global affairs with National Security Advisor Robert O'Brien. Don't go away. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.